Attention! This makes absolutely no sense. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Xander's Facts. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Xander's Facts. I am, of course, the aforementioned Xander, and no, this is not a new episode of the Xander's Facts podcast. This is instead a very special Xander's Facts flashback. Very special because I said so here on Wednesday, January 4th. 2023. How about that? We are in a new year, starting off the new year with the Zaders Facts flashback, one that I know all of you all are going to want to listen to, which is why I brought it in this week. So we're going to get to that in just a second. And also this week, I thought that I would do a little bit of new content at the beginning because there was a big thing that happened in Washington in the House at Congress on Tuesday, and it's still ongoing actually right now. So I'm going to talk about it. You probably know what I'm talking about, but I'm going to talk about it in just a second. But before we get to all the content this week on the Zaders Facts Flashback, I just wanted to remind you all that if you like the Zaders Facts Podcast, if you think you're going to like all the facts that are on this week's flashback, there are a lot of facts on this week's flashback, remember to follow the Zaders Facts Podcast. Download this episode, the Zaders Facts Flashback from Wednesday, January 4th. Rate and review the podcast. Then go on all our socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. I'm on all of those at Xander's Facts. That's Xander with the Z. And most importantly, remember to tell your friends. Spread the facts. Xander's Facts Podcast. Remember to spread all the facts to all of your friends, including the facts from the podcast, from Xander's Weekend Facts, which if you didn't know is our weekly newsletter that comes out every Sunday morning, a compilation of the top headlines from the past week. Check it out. Also, we've got our Xander's Facts YouTube channel. If you want to check out a bunch of our past episodes in YouTube form with a nice background, you can do that, including the Xander's Facts flashback and also the Xander's Facts link tree, which has all the Xander's Facts links that you need, including for Xander'sFacts.com and the Xander's Facts shop if you want to get any Xander's Facts swag, facts, merch. Check it out. It's Xander'sFacts.com. But before we get to our flashback this week, I just wanted to take a minute to mention. What is going on in Congress right now? This is some new content for Wednesday, January 4th, 2023, because we got to have some new facts, even in our Xander's Facts flashback for this week, because there's a lot of stuff going on in Congress, in the House, right now. The 118th Congress was just sworn in. Congratulations. On Tuesday, January 3rd, or it came together, at least, the Senate and all the new senators and all the senators that were reelected were sworn in. But in the House, all the new members technically have not been sworn in yet because the House has not done something that it needs to do. What are you talking about? Which is elect a leader. And by a leader, I mean a Speaker of the House. The Speaker of the House, as you all may know, was Nancy Pelosi from 2018 to 2022. Now, because Republicans have regained the majority, In the House of Representatives, they have 222 seats. They should be the ones who get to decide who is the Speaker. But we are now on Wednesday, January 4th. I'm recording this Tuesday night, actually, when the House is adjourned. But we don't have a Speaker yet. It should be, don't you all think, the House Republican leader, Kevin McCarthy. But it's not. We've had three separate votes in the House today for Speaker, and Kevin McCarthy has not gotten the 218-vote threshold in either of them. So, basically, how electing the Speaker works, the leader of the House, the person who is third in line to the presidency after the vice president, how this works is the Congress basically comes together when the new Congress comes in, as what just happened on Tuesday, and everyone, Republicans and Democrats, vote. First, they nominate people, names, to be in the running. So the Democrats, they nominated Hakeem Jeffries, who is the new House Democratic leader. Nancy Pelosi is still in Congress, but she stepped down. She's not in House leadership anymore. Now it's Hakeem Jeffries. So he's been nominated by the Democrats. The Republicans, of course, have nominated Kevin McCarthy. But the thing is, you can nominate more than one person per party. Like, anyone can nominate anybody. It's just that the Democrats only nominated Hakeem Jeffries. The Republicans nominated Kevin McCarthy. But also, 
some other people, which has kind of gotten fuzzy. So we had a vote for speaker on Tuesday, and Kevin McCarthy did not get 218 votes. In fact, it was Hakeem Jeffries who got 212, who actually ended up with the most votes. Now, you need 218 votes, so he actually didn't get elected speaker. But Kevin McCarthy lost 19 votes. He only got 203 votes because 19 Republicans voted for other Republicans. That was Congressman Andy Biggs, who got 10 votes. It was Jim Jordan, who got a couple votes. It was these other Republicans who split off 19 votes from McCarthy. So then they have to have another vote. And in this vote, Democrats nominate Hakeem Jeffries. Republicans nominate Kevin McCarthy. Actually, there was some deliberation before this vote, after the first vote. Jim Jordan and Kevin McCarthy were seen talking to each other, and Jim Jordan's actually the one who goes up and nominates Kevin McCarthy. So it would appear they were aligned. But actually, they are actually. But Matt Gates, who you all know is a congressman from Florida, goes up there and nominates Jim Jordan. Whoops. So what happens is Kevin McCarthy once again gets 203 votes. Jim Jordan gets 19. Hakeem Jeffries gets 212 because all 212 Democrats voted for him. And that didn't change. So now we're basically in the same position we were. It's just there aren't a bunch of candidates who took off 19 votes. It's just Jim Jordan. Even though Jim Jordan didn't vote for himself, he voted for Kevin McCarthy because he doesn't want to become Speaker. Or at least says he doesn't. He would rather actually be in charge of the Judiciary Committee, which is basically why he wants Kevin McCarthy to become Speaker, because he knows Kevin McCarthy's going to give him that position. So he doesn't vote for himself, he votes for McCarthy, but 19 people vote for him. 19 House Republicans. We do another vote. A third vote. And the results. Hakeem Jeffries, 212. Kevin McCarthy, 202. And Jim Jordan suddenly gained a vote. He got 20 votes now. So we are like, nothing is changing, basically. And they finally adjourn. So who are these 1920 Republicans? Well, they're not moderate Republicans. Those are going for Kevin McCarthy. These are the people who sometimes get mentioned on this podcast, the far right wingers, the people who believe in space lasers. Actually, Marjorie, who you all know the other names in her name, she actually voted for Kevin McCarthy because she got the deals she wanted from Kevin. It's all about the deals. But apparently, Kevin McCarthy, who has already given up a lot in negotiations to these hardliners on the right, the far right, not enough for Lauren Bobart, Matt Gates, Paul Gosar. You know, you get the gist of these people. And I'm not saying Kevin McCarthy's great either, because he's not. He's terrible. But, like, I'm just telling you who's not voting for him. So basically, I mean, what's going to happen? We don't know. Who's going to be the next speaker? We don't know. There's a chance that Hakeem Jeffries, the Democrat, could be the next speaker, which would be absolutely wild because uh, the Democrats are in the minority in the House, not the majority. But the Republicans seemingly can't get their crap together. They cannot unite. Democrats, every Democrat's voted for Hakeem Jeffries. Republicans are not united at all. There's talk of more people potentially defecting from McCarthy to someone else. Kevin McCarthy really wants the job for whatever reason. Does he have to step down because he can't get it? Is it going to be someone else? Is it going to be Steve Scalise, who's also in-house Republican leadership? Is it going to be Jim Jordan? Yikes. Is it going to be some far-right crazy nut person? Probably not. Is it going to be... Could the Democrats, who say they're not going to help McCarthy and did not earlier, because Kevin McCarthy, by the way, is not a moderate Republican. He's the pinned tweet on his Twitter is actually talking about Hunter Biden's laptop. That's a big priority for him, Hunter Biden's laptop, because that should be a big priority for all of us in Congress, if you didn't know. But they're not going to help him. But could Democrats cut a deal with a moderate Republican? There's not many of those. Or could Democrats find a moderate Democrat? There's some blue dog Democrats who could maybe get some moderate GOP votes. We don't know what's going to happen. We're three votes down, and they're going to keep doing this. Until someone gets 218, we're going to keep doing this. Or, if they get a simple majority. If a bunch of people vote present, or they don't vote, that threshold lowers. So, let's say a bunch of Republicans vote present, or they don't vote at all. And those are the people who, let's say, don't support McCarthy. 
well, then the vote threshold lowers. So then if Hakeem Jeffries gets more votes than Gavin McCarthy, then he's the next speaker. Now, is he going to be the next speaker for the next two years? I don't think so. But, like, it's really interesting. And this hasn't happened in a hundred years. We haven't gone to multiple ballots for a speaker vote. And actually, this is the 15th time that we've gone to multiple ballots for a speaker vote. The last was in 1923. But in 1855, when Nathaniel Banks from Massachusetts was elected speaker, the final ballot was the 133rd. It's a fact. So, if we go the distance, 133 votes, technically it would not be unprecedented. However, it would be extremely boring. I don't know if you saw any of it on Tuesday. Just the three votes. I mean, the clerk had to read all 434 names out. It was exhausting to watch. And they're going to do that another 130 times? I don't think so. Deals will probably be cut. Something will probably happen. And we'll definitely talk about this next week on the podcast when we have a brand new episode, episode 89, which you should go check out next week. But... Yeah, this is extremely interesting. So we'll see. Something could change on Wednesday. But for right now, we don't have a Speaker of the House, and it doesn't look like we're getting anywhere close to one anytime soon. So we'll see how all that goes. But that's a little update for you all this week on Wednesday, January 4th. Let's get to our Zeros Facts flashback this week, because I was going through a bunch of our past episodes, and I didn't want to choose any of the way back ones from last year, because my voice didn't sound so great and it was low quality. So sorry you all had to listen to that back in the day. But now, because we are a very professional podcast organization now, I wanted to go to July. Nice! Episode 69. It was a very busy summer, if you don't remember in politics. And we talked about it with the Supreme Court. Everything that was going on in the Supreme Court, and a lot of the stuff still matters now. I talked about previewing the 2022 election back then, which you all could basically cut out of your minds because that's over and done with. But other than that, there's a lot of stuff that still pertains today. So I thought I'd bring it back up this week on our Xander's Facts flashback. So let's get to it. We are going back to episode 69 of the podcast. The Supremes aren't done yet on our Xander's Facts flashback. Xander's Facts. Episode 69, we are talking about the Supreme Court. Again, and no, you're not listening to last week's edition because we also talked about that last week. Last week, we talked about the Supreme Court and abortion because the Supreme Court had officially overturned Roe v. Wade and therefore the constitutional right for a woman to get an abortion. We're not talking about that this week. That was last week, so if you need to go hear about that, We'll go listen to last week's and episode 62 when I talked about it as well. So go listen to that if you haven't. But this week, we're talking about some other cases that the Supreme Court is dealing with. We've got two cases that I'm going to talk about that have already been decided. One case, which is probably the most important of all of them, which you're like, Xander, please, abortion, very important. But this may be even more important. Seriously? Which has not been decided yet. So we're going to talk about that. So last week... We talked about abortion and how it's no longer constitutionally protected so that red states across the country have been passing abortion bans and heavy restrictions. We talked about that last week. This week, we are going to look into some other cases that the Supreme Court has been taking up, specifically three cases, two that's been already decided upon and one that's going to be heard in the fall. And obviously, abortion is a critical issue, but you're going to want to know about these cases, too, because they're pretty important. So, let's start with the two cases that the court decided last week. And the first case that I'm talking about is West Virginia versus the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA. That lawsuit was filed against the EPA because of the actions they took to regulate greenhouse gas emissions. So, the question before the court was whether the EPA had the authority to regulate greenhouse gas emissions as long as it considers the costs, non-air impacts, and energy requirements. So, fast forward, in a 6-3 decision, with the six conservative justices forming the majority, not surprising, the court ruled that the EPA did not have the authority to regulate greenhouse gas emissions because it was not given that authority by Congress. And in the majority opinion, 
Chief Justice John Roberts wrote, quote, The agency, EPA, must point to clear congressional authorization for the authority it claims, unquote. However, many are arguing that the decision is going to significantly damper efforts by the federal government to curb the effects of climate change. Greenhouse gas emissions and carbon emissions have been found as a leading cause of the warming of the earth. And now the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, can't do anything about it because Congress hasn't told them they can. Police! Of course, the court punted to Congress because they know that nothing's going to happen. Because as long as Democrats don't have 60 votes in the Senate or they don't remove the filibuster, nothing's going to happen. So, you can basically add fighting climate change as another significant reason why you should vote this November. Because, apparently, now we can't fight climate change by the federal government. But I'll get into that in a second. Because speaking for the three liberal justices, Justice Elena Kagan writes in her dissent, quote, In short, when it comes to delegations, there are good reasons for Congress within extremely broad limits to get to call the shots. Congress knows about how government works in ways courts don't. More specifically, Congress knows what mix of legislative and administrative action conduces to good policy. Courts should be modest, unquote. Quote, today the court is not. Section 111, most naturally read, authorizes EPA to develop the Clean Power Plan. In other words, to decide that generation shifting is the best system of emission reduction for power plants churning out carbon dioxide. Evaluating systems of emission reduction is what EPA does, and nothing in the rest of the Clean Air Act or any other statute suggests that Congress does not mean for the delegation it wrote to go as far as the text says. In rewriting that text, the court substitutes its own ideas about delegations for Congresses, and that means the court substitutes its own ideas about policymaking for Congresses. The court will not allow the Clean Air Act to work as Congress instructed. The court, rather than Congress, will decide how much regulation is too much. The subject matter of the regulation here makes the court's intervention all the more troubling. Whatever else this court may know about, it does not have a clue about how to address climate change. And let's state the obvious. The stakes here are high. Yet the court today prevents congressionally authorized agency action to curb power plants, carbon dioxide emissions. The court appoints itself, instead of Congress or the expert agency, the decision maker on climate policy. I cannot think of many things more frightening. I dissent, unquote. Need some ice for that sick burn? Basically, there were a lot of terms you probably don't know about, including Clean Air Act and Section 111. 111. Section 111 is a section of the Clean Air Act which passed Congress back in 1963 by an overwhelming majority. That section of the Act, Section 111, as Kagan writes in her dissent, quote, directs the EPA to regulate stationary sources of any substance that causes or contributes significantly to air pollution and that may reasonably be anticipated to endanger public health or welfare. Carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases fit that description, unquote. So, to carry that out, in 2015, under the Obama administration, the EPA instituted the Clean Power Plan, which was intended to reduce emissions in a cost-effective manner. And then, it was ultimately repealed by the next administration, the Trump administration, and now has been nullified by the court. So even though Congress has given the executive branch the authority to regulate air pollution, which they did back in 1963, because the act did not explicitly say which actions could be taken, it doesn't count. Just like how the court ruled that because abortion is not explicitly written in the Constitution, it is not constitutionally protected. Even though, throughout the history of the United States, we have recognized that rights do not have to be explicitly mentioned to be protected. But, in order to stop action on climate change and stop safe abortions, That is the tactic that the Republicans have come up with to use for things they don't want, like efforts to fight climate change, because, oh my gosh, how could you? Quit your whining. But more than this, experts are also warning that in both climate action and executive authority, the courts may not be done. What does that mean? The fact that the courts stated that Congress must give the executive branch authority to enact decisions that will have economic effects 
means that other executive branch agencies may have their authority stripped in later cases. And the court apparently is not done with the EPA either, because there's going to be a case that will be heard in the fall, Sackett versus EPA, in a challenge to the Clean Water Act, which was passed by President Nixon in 1972. In that case, the court could rule that the EPA overstepped its authority when regulating wetlands and waterways in the U.S. Because, I mean, of course, who doesn't want more garbage and pollution in natural habitats? Like, what is wrong with you, EPA? Why can't we put garbage in the water where the fish live and other animals? Like, seriously, come on. Why would they do this to us? Government overreach. These are not Sandra's facts. Talk about, though, 50 years of precedent on women's rights being overruled. The court now wants to overrule 50 years of precedent regarding keeping our environment clean. And this time, it's pretty clear that big oil and fossil fuel companies are deep, 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 deep in the pockets of conservatives, including those on the court. Because you know who doesn't want to keep the environment clean right now? The fossil fuel companies, the big oil companies, because they make a lot of money by polluting the environment. Evil! But in regards to the West Virginia v. EPA decision, Democrats like President Biden disagreed with the decision, surprisingly, with Biden saying it was a, quote, devastating decision, unquote, that, quote, risks damaging our nation's ability to keep our air clean and combat climate change, unquote. However, conservatives like our guy, Mr. Turtle, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, applauded the decision. Wow. And Katie Tubb, a research fellow at the conservative think tank Heritage Foundation, said, quote, Many on the left want the EPA to regulate emissions to achieve a radical climate agenda. But it matters in this country who makes those decisions. From my perspective, it is important that American representatives are the ones, rather than unelected bureaucrats in the EPA, unquote. Well, a radical climate agenda. How could the liberal Democrats do this to us? Radical climate agenda? How could there be such a thing? I know, it's terrible. Keeping the air clean. Making sure the earth doesn't warm too much, that is pretty radical. Man, that was rough. Ultimately, though, the court did allow the EPA to still regulate carbon emissions coming from power plants, but not by forcing utility companies to shift from coal to renewable energy. Because, you know, shifting from coal to solar, wind, hydro, even nuclear, would be better. But no, we can't do that. However, the action the court took is pretty clear. To discredit radical agenda, apparently, democratic efforts to curb the effects of climate change, while there are still those on the right who do not believe that climate change exists, don't believe the science. You know, the same people who don't believe in the COVID vaccines, I guess. So, that's one case I want to talk about, because you're like, Sander, good grief, there's people who are stupid. Are you stupid? Well, just wait, because the next case involves the court relaxing Gun restrictions, because that's what we need right now. More guns. There was another case the court decided two weeks ago that involves gun rights. This case, the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, looked at a New York State law that required individuals seeking a concealed carry permit to provide a special need for self-protection. So basically, you couldn't just get a concealed carry permit. You had to provide a legitimate reason for why you need one for self-protection. So basically, the question that was before the court was, does New York's law requiring that applicants for unrestricted concealed carry licenses demonstrate a special need for self-defense violate the Second Amendment? Well, apparently, in yet another 6-3 decision, you know where this is going, the six conservatives formed the majority, the court ruled that the New York law was unconstitutional because it did violate the Second Amendment. In the majority opinion, Justice Clarence Thomas writes, quote, The Second and Fourteenth Amendments protect an individual's right to carry a handgun for self-defense outside the home, unquote. He also writes, quote, The constitutional right to bear arms in public for self-defense is not a second-class right, subject to an entirely different body of rules than the other Bill of Rights guarantees. We know of no other constitutional right that an individual may exercise only after demonstrating to government officers some special need, unquote. Wow. So ultimately, the decision overturns a law that has been in effect in some capacity in the state of New York 
since 1905, over a hundred years. Thomas argues about the constitutional right to bear arms in public for self-defense, but where exactly in the Constitution does it say that? Because once again, I will read you the Second Amendment, as I have done many times on this podcast. It's not very long. Quote, A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Unquote. So you've got bear arms, which he said, Clarence, but for self-defense purposes, that is not there. And even if it was, remember the part at the beginning, which they kind of like to go over, just skip over a little bit. Well-regulated militia. Remember that part. Huh. Wouldn't this regulation probably qualify under that purpose? It's so interesting to me how the court interprets self-defense in this case, but does not interpret abortion under the right to privacy or equal protection or apparently the right to regulate climate, even though those aren't explicitly stated either, just like self-defense. But they do think, oh my gosh. So, in fact, Thomas's opinion only mentions well-regulated militia once, and that is to argue against a dissent in the D.C. v. Heller case that overturned a D.C. ban on handguns in 2008, the District of Columbia. That case was a 5-4 decision, with, of course, the conservatives making the majority, the liberals formed the minority back in 2008. But let's give him credit, Thomas, because he also mentions the 14th Amendment. Let's see if self-defense is mentioned there. Now, the 14th Amendment is a lot longer, but I am going to read it to you. It's got five sections, which I will read to you. Story time! Section 1, quote, All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of the law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws, unquote. Section 2, quote, Representatives shall be apportioned among the several states according to their respective numbers, counting the whole number of persons in each state, excluding Indians not taxed, but win the right to vote at any election for the choice of electors for President and Vice President of the United States, representatives in Congress, the executive and judicial officers of a state, or the members of the legislature thereof, is denied to any of the male inhabitants of such state being 21 years of age and citizens of the United States, or in any way abridged except for participation in rebellion or other crime, the basis of representation therein shall be reduced in the proportion which the number of such male citizens shall bear to the whole number of male citizens 21 years of age in such state, unquote. Obviously, it's been amended because the voting age is now 18, not 21. Section 3, quote, No person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president, vice president, or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state, to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same, or given aid to comfort to the enemies thereof, but Congress may, by a vote of two-thirds of each house, remove such disability, unquote. So, insurrection, you know, Donnie Boy. Section 4, quote, The validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law, including debts incurred for payment of pensions and bounties for services and suppressing insurrection or rebellion, shall not be questioned, but neither the United States nor any state shall assume or pay any debt or obligation incurred in the aid of insurrection or rebellion against the United States, or any claim for the loss of emancipation of any slave, but all such debts, obligations, and claims shall be held illegal and void, unquote. And section 5, the Congress shall have power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article, unquote. Are you done? Did you hear any mention of self-defense and the right to carry a gun because of it? I did not, but that is because... Thompson mentions the 14th Amendment because it is supposed to apply the Second Amendment and the right to bear arms to all Americans. But, of course, his interpretation of the Second Amendment, as we have found, is very wide-reaching. Meaning, I don't think so, Chief. So, the court basically decided that in the wake of all the mass shootings that have been happening in the United States, gun laws should be relaxed in order to have more guns. And they didn't have to do this. They just took that view 
of the Second Amendment. You can interpret it several different ways. They decided that everybody should have guns and there should be no restrictions, even though it says well-regulated, and I don't see where it says everybody can have a gun. But, you know, extremist views. So, all the mass shootings that have been going on, including the shooting that happened on Monday, July 4th, holiday, in Highland Park, Illinois, which is a Chicago suburb at an Independence Day parade, where seven people are dead and 30 are injured in one of the wealthiest suburbs in the country. And of course, they found the shooter was a guy who left a trail online, which they didn't catch, oh no, and also a guy who had photos of himself draped in MAGA flags, Trump flags, oh, what a guy, so. Whoops. And also on Monday, crowds were sent fleeing in Philadelphia as gunshots rang out during July 4th celebrations in the evening. But wait a second, whoa, 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 Xander, you aren't mentioning Denmark, because this isn't just happening in the United States, apparently. Look at Denmark, because if you haven't heard, there was a shooting at a mall in the capital of Copenhagen, which killed three people and injured four others, despite the fact that Denmark has some of the most restrictive gun laws in the world. This still happened. Oh my gosh. Well, that means gun control doesn't work. Well, hold on a second before you start getting all giddy. Big fact incoming. You need to look at the long-term facts because Denmark has 12 guns per 100 residents, which means they still have guns, which is 52nd highest in the world. While the U.S. has 88.8 guns per 100 residents, which is first in the world. Denmark has 2.6 murders with firearms per million people per year, the U.S. has 32.57, but those numbers, even though they're statistical facts, have not stopped Republicans from attacking gun control measures, including everyone's favorite congresswoman, Lauren Bobart, tweeting, quote, There was just a mass shooting in Denmark, a country with some of the strictest gun laws in Europe. It's time to admit that gun laws do not stop mass shootings, unquote. Well, let's just say Lauren might not have been looking at the general statistics and facts. I think Lauren needs to listen to Xander's facts because gun laws do, in fact, stop mass shootings. How? Because of the numbers I just showed you. And also, there have been now... Over 300 mass shootings where four or more people were shot or killed in the U.S. this year, we're in July, and that was the only one that has happened in Denmark this year, so over 300 to 1, and Denmark's population is very small, so when we look in regards to population, the U.S. has 3.964 gun violence deaths per 100,000 people. So this takes into differences of population into account. Denmark sits at 0.141, which is a lot smaller. Last year, there were 39 murders in Denmark, the entire country, about 5.5 million people. But in the state of Colorado, where Bobart is from, which has about the same population, there were 364. And Denmark's population is actually slightly higher. So... Too many facts. The stupidity continues. And I guess that the only mistake that Denmark made was that there actually were guns in the country. So their gun laws apparently didn't go far enough. We'll see what happens there. But it is clear, as of the numbers I just showed you... But it happened in Denmark! No, I just told you. While gun deaths still occur in countries like Denmark, they are not even close when taking in population differences into account even, than the U.S. And yet, the Supreme Court has ruled that we should have more guns because they have incorrectly interpreted the Second Amendment to prohibiting restrictions on guns. Well, I don't think it says that. I think it actually says the opposite, well-regulated, but you know. Oh my gosh, freedoms! The fact is, if this is how the Supreme Court interprets the Constitution, then congressional action and voting for Democrats against those crazy nutjobs may not be enough because it is clear that the conservative justices on the court who are voting for this stuff are literally endangering people in this country. And this isn't the only instance I can point to. Remember, 
that the Supreme Court is now allowing states to criminalize abortion, which will endanger many women across the country, and is now allowing big oil companies to pollute as much as they wish, damaging our health and future. But also, in another case that was decided very recently, where the Supreme Court declined to hear a religious liberty challenge to New York's COVID-19 vaccine mandate, Justice Clarence Thomas wrote in a dissenting opinion that, quote, They object on religious grounds to all available COVID-19 vaccines because they were developed using cell lines derived from aborted children, unquote. What? I am not making that up. He actually wrote that. And just, if you were curious, that is not true. It actually came from a Supreme Court justice in an official dissent. Like, whoa. That same justice who, by the way, is married to someone who pressured Trump officials to overturn the results of the 2020 election, which we know because the January 6th committee has their text messages. And yet, I have another example of why the court needs to be constrained. You heard about all of those, but now here's the big one. This is the one that I was talking about that we are now getting to. Here we go. Oh my gosh, this one blows the other ones out of the water. No, the biggest threat to the country as a whole may be in a case that hasn't even been heard yet. And no, I am not talking about Clarence Thomas's attacks on contraceptives, even though the court could be poised to restrict Plan B and birth control, just so you know. We talked about that previous podcast. No, the case I'm talking about is Moore v. Harper, which you probably haven't heard of. It's a suit brought by Republicans in the North Carolina General Assembly. So in 2021, the General Assembly approved a new congressional districts map based on the data they received from the 2020 census. However, some North Carolina voters sued because they said that the map was a partisan gerrymander in favor of Republicans that violated the state constitution. Now, the North Carolina Supreme Court ultimately ruled that it was a partisan gerrymander, and they ordered the lower trial court to draw a new map, which they did. That case was decided on February 14th of this year, but Republican state legislators in North Carolina filed an emergency appeal with the U.S. Supreme Court on February 22nd, asking the court to halt the North Carolina Supreme Court's order until the Supreme Court of the United States was able to review the case. That request was ultimately denied. But a petition for a writ of certiorari in the case was filed on March 17th by Timothy Moore, the Speaker of the North Carolina House of Representatives. Now, basically, a writ of certiorari is basically a petition for the court to review a case. So basically a petition, but a fancy word. Fact, Nugget! But the Supreme Court then granted that review late last month, and it will be heard before the court this fall. The question that the court will be answering is, quote, whether a state's judicial branch may nullify the regulations governing the manner of holding elections for senators and representatives prescribed by the legislature thereof, and replace them with regulations of the state's own devising based on vague state constitutional provisions purportedly vesting the state judiciary with power to prescribe whatever rules it deems appropriate to ensure a fair or free election, unquote. So the Republicans in North Carolina say that only the legislature, the state legislature, is able to alter redistricting plans, not the state Supreme Court. And this argument comes from a legal theory, which you should probably know about. It is known as the independent state legislature theory. You should know about it because it's kind of crazy. This theory gives state legislatures total authority to set the rules for federal elections with no restrictions or supervision from the state court's or state constitutions. Now, advocates for this theory point to the election clause in Article 1 of the Constitution, which states, quote, The times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof, unquote. Oh, it said the word legislature. So, what do you say? The independent state legislature theory is not new, however, because it was first cited in a concurring opinion by three Supreme Court conservative justices in the 2000 Bush v. Gore case, which if you didn't know, 
basically gave the 2000 presidential election to George W. Bush before recounts were finished in Florida, and it was also used as an excuse for those attempting to overturn, you guessed it, the 2020 presidential election in favor of Donnie Boy. Advocates for the former president were seeking for state legislatures such as those in Georgia and Arizona, which if you didn't know, Trump lost in those states, to decertify the state's electors and implement a slate of alternate electors that would vote for Trump instead of Biden in the Electoral College. And among those who were advocating for that practice was Jenny Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. And Thomas was one of those three conservative Supreme Court justices in the 2000 Bush v. Gore case that cited the independent state legislature theory. Oh my gosh. So now... 2022, Republicans hope it will be accepted by the Supreme Court so that they can potentially institute wild partisan gerrymanders in order to implement their rule in state legislatures and in the House of Representatives for decades to come, even if they no longer receive the majority of votes. Like in North Carolina, Trump barely won that state by about a percent, but the map that Republicans in the state legislature approved would have given them basically 10 of the 14 House seats in North Carolina, which is not very close to where North Carolina is politically. However, Republicans also hope that it will give legislatures the power to select their own slate of electors to send to the Electoral College vote, meaning Republican legislatures could appoint Republican electors even if a Democrat won the state in a presidential election. Because, yeah. Does that sound like democracy to you? I don't think so. I don't think so. Using this theory, though, Republicans could also stop governors, Democrats and Republicans, from vetoing election bills or state courts from blocking bills that could set up different voting hours in urban and rural precincts. Because, don't you think that if Republicans could limit... The number of hours that polling places in urban blue areas could be open. Don't you think they'd do that? Because, yeah, it wouldn't be fair. But who cares, man? Who? So, it's all going to depend on how the Supreme Court rules in this case. And unlike in the abortion and the climate cases, we don't really have that good of a hint at how the majority will form. Now you're thinking, Xander, please, there's six conservatives. But just a second, because in 2015, the court ruled in a case involving Arizona that Arizona had the right to implement an independent redistricting commission to draw congressional district lines and make the process less partisan. The majority opinion of that case was written by Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She wrote in that case, quote, the Elections Clause permits the people of Arizona to provide for redistricting by independent commission. The history and purpose of the clause weigh heavily against precluding the people of Arizona from creating a commission operating independently of the state legislature to establish congressional districts. Such preclusion would also run up against the Constitution's animating principle that the people themselves are the originating source of all the powers of government. The dominant purpose of the Elections Clause, the historical record bears out, was to empower Congress to override state election rules, not to restrict the way states enact legislation. Ratification arguments in support of congressional oversight focuses on potential abuses by state politicians, but the legislative processes by which the states could exercise their initiating role in regulating congressional elections occasion to no debate. There is no suggestion that the election clause, by specifying the legislature thereof, required assignment of congressional redistricting authority to the state's representative body, unquote. Oh my gosh, I love me a good RBG opinion. But basically saying the term legislature for all of the history of this nation and the elections clause does not exactly mean the state legislature. Oh my gosh, we're not interpreting the Constitution literally anymore? Kind of changes. So, there was also a case, though, in 2019 that asked the Supreme Court to intervene to stop a partisan gerrymander in a state. 
and the court, in a 5-4 decision, declined to do so because they said that federal courts did not have the authority to handle claims of illegal partisan gerrymandering, but that the state courts did have that authority. That was the majority opinion that was written by Chief Justice John Roberts. Now, of course, the court looks differently than it did in 2015 and 2019 when there were five conservatives, four liberals. There's now six conservatives and three liberals, and four of the six conservatives have expressed the willingness to look at the independent state legislature theory. Those justices, Samuel Alito, Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, and Brett Kavanaugh. And it doesn't appear likely that Chief Justice John Roberts is going to backtrack from his 2019 opinion and go forward with any of these conservatives, which leaves the likely swing vote as Justice Amy Coney Barrett. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Well, I guess you are right. I guess this is over. Handmaid's Tale Girl. Uh, we'll see about that. But, yeah, that's basically where we are right now. And I probably don't need to tell you what's going to happen if the court decided to rule in favor of the North Carolina Republicans. But I'm going to anyway, because some of you may not know. It would be an absolute disaster for American democracy. We're not just talking about overturning 50 years of precedent in regards to abortion or climate. We're talking about overturning precedents ever since this nation was founded. Because as... Ruth Bader Ginsburg said in her 2015 opinion, it has never been found by the nation's highest court that the elections clause of Article 1 of the Constitution specifically requires only state legislatures to enact federal election laws. Since the birth of this nation, that clause, that article, has never been interpreted in that way. But, I mean, if it can help the Republicans out, I mean, I'm sure they could do that. I mean... If the Republicans need to get their way, then I guess they'll interpret it the way that they please. So now, now they want a literal reading of the Constitution. Legislature can be defined many different ways, but they're going to define it that way. Like, there's no mention of abortion. They did, they read that literally. But there also isn't any mention of self-defense in public regarding guns. But they interpreted it that way. So... Basically, just a pick-and-choose game here with this court, which I basically said last week when we were talking about abortion and all the other cases, which is pretty dangerous. Supreme Court just looking at whatever, deciding, oh, that means that, that means that, oh, we can take that literally, oh, that's, eh, we take it, that can't take that literally, and just do whatever they want, which is not good for any of those cases. But this would be the absolute worst attack yet on our country, and democracy in the United States. Xander, please be quiet. You're just fear-mongering. You have no clue. Stinger. I do have a clue, because I did the research, and I have all the facts. This would allow state legislatures, which have already been found in many states to be heavily gerrymandered, to have sole authority over how federal elections are held in states, and could allow these state legislatures to appoint electors for the candidate of their choosing, no matter if they have won the most votes in a state or not. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but that is literally the definition of anti-democratic. That is the definition of against democracy. The ability to go against the will of the people is not democracy. It is, however, much closer to the Republicans' ultimate goal, which we have talked about on this podcast, of theocracy. That's blasphemy! Which is not a democracy. So, no offense to those other cases, because they are obviously very important, and I've talked about them a bunch on this podcast, including just a few minutes ago, but this one should have your full attention for a reason, because it could literally mean the end of free and fair elections in the United States of America as we know it. Now, I guess the Supreme Court could surprise us and be like, oh, no, just kidding, we're not going to do that. But, I mean, at this point, just expect anything, like, honestly. So, the upcoming 2022 midterm elections could be the last democratically held elections in the United States if we sit back and let this happen, which we've basically sat back and let this happen. There's nothing really we can do anymore, which is why... As you know, by now, and you probably hate me for saying it, Xander, shut up. I'm not going to. But you gotta vote this year 
if you are a U.S. citizen and you will be at least 18 years of age on Election Day, which is November 8th, 2022. Sandra, you've already told me this. I don't need to hear it anymore. I know, but it's very important that you actually listen to Xander for once because I got a lot of facts. But also, we've got one party that is literally attempting, in plain sight, as I have just described, if you need an example, rewind the podcast a couple minutes, to be able to overturn the results of elections that don't go their way. Because they refuse to budge from their far-right unpopular positions that are losing support from the American electorate. You think that banning abortions in states is popular? Not really. Even in states where they're doing it. Do you think that getting rid of contraceptives, birth control is popular? No. Do you think that stopping the EPA from stopping big oil companies from polluting all they want is popular? No. Like, none of these things that they're doing are popular. Gash facts. But they know that, which is why they're doing this. And I think you know which party I'm talking about. So this podcast comes out on July 6th. I said election day is November 8th. Election day is just over four months away. And midterm elections usually don't get the turnout of presidential election years. But there is so much that is important behind these midterms this year, like in 2018 when Donnie Boy was going crazy. But this year, 2022, the right to an abortion and birth control and contraceptives is on the line. Implementing gun control legislation that will save lives and stop mass shootings is on the line, which is very popular, by the way. Many things are on the line. But the most important may be free and fair elections. If you actually care about democracy, you would care about these midterms. There are many members of one party who don't want them anymore, and they can only be stopped by losing at the ballot box, which then they'll say, oh my gosh, it was fraud, stolen, I actually won, even though they didn't. Sore losers, liars, sorry. Your moms didn't love you growing up. And I'm not just talking about congressional elections which are very important, but also state elections for governor and state legislatures, because there are 36 governor seats that are up for election this year, and the only states that are not holding state legislature elections are four, Louisiana, Mississippi, New Jersey, and Virginia. Although, actually, Virginia may. We don't know yet. The court's got to decide all that because it's wonky. We'll talk about that later on this podcast, if it happens, but uh, we'll see for now. What are you talking about? But 46 states that are having state legislature elections, which I just talked about what the state legislatures are trying to do. Pretty powerful bodies of government, which you should probably be paying attention on. But let me just say, we are going to go much further in depth in the biggest elections of the midterms over the next four months on this podcast and on Xander's Weekend Facts, which you should sign up for. Link in the episode description. But we are going to talk about those a lot over the next four months, Xander's Midterms Facts. I just came up with that. How about that? No one cares. There are also many primary elections that are left to go in several states to decide who's going to be on the ballot in November. So if you live in any of these states, you got to vote earlier than November. Like in Maryland, they are holding primary elections on the 19th of this month. Arizona, Kansas, Michigan, Montana, and Washington are holding elections on August 2nd. And then two days later on the 4th, Tennessee, and then Connecticut, Minnesota, Vermont, and Wisconsin on August 9th, Hawaii on August 13th, Alaska and Wyoming on August 16th, you got Florida and then house races in New York on August 23rd, Massachusetts on September 6th, and Delaware, New Hampshire, and Rhode Island on September 13th. So we got primary elections too, even before the general election in November. So Basically, to wrap up my tirade, the Supreme Court is bad. Which you know already! I mean, I would wager a large amount that the majority of Americans do not want their state legislatures to be the sole authority on federal election law. 
Like, we're talking about getting rid of checks and balances. You ever heard of checks and balances? It's pretty fundamental if you've ever taken a civics class. We have checks and balances over the three branches of government. They check each other to balance each other out. The executive branch, which has the president or the governor, the legislative branch, which has Congress or your state legislature, and then the judicial branch, which has the Supreme Court or your state courts. It's a fact. Clearly, the Supreme Court thinks that they are very much up and above the other two branches, which is not how checks and balances work. You are balanced because you check each other. And all that is why it is important for Democrats to pass the voting rights bills that they have stalled in the Senate, which we have detailed in depth on this podcast. Wait, it was like last year, I think we talked about that. You should go back and listen to that. Same as Bog. Probably a lot of facts on there, like on this podcast. But they can't get them passed because there's two Democrats who don't want to get rid of the filibuster. They don't have 60 votes because the Republicans ain't going to vote for them. So they can get passed if more Democrats get voted into the Senate later this year, like on November 8th, the midterms. Now, I know, Xander, I'm so tired. I don't want to vote anymore, please. I know the arguments. Democrats don't do anything, so why should we vote for them? Which is actually... A popular sentiment, I would say, among many progressives and those firmly on the left. And I get it. Because let me just tell you something. Democrats, (laughs) the Democratic Party, is not the greatest thing ever. Like, we can all agree on that. Like, seriously, I do wish, which I have expressed the sentiment on my podcast, that we had a system that allowed for many parties, like in Europe. I think the two-party system is what has gotten us here. It's terrible. And we need to get rid of it, like, as fast as possible. So we can vote for parties like, oh, the Zaner's Facts Party. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yay. I should start my own party. The Zaner's Facts Party. Only facts. That's our platform. All facts. And everybody would vote for us. Write us in. Don't write in, though, this year, because you kind of have to vote for someone. Like, that takes away votes. Don't do that. Unless you're going to vote for a Republican, then you can write in Zaner's Facts. But otherwise, like, don't do it this year. But we got to start the Xander Specs party movement. Like, seriously, Xander Specs should be its own party. But for the time being, we have to deal with what we have. And that means making a choice between a Democrat who probably wants free and fair elections and a Republican who, maybe not, but probably doesn't want free and fair elections and would love it if the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the North Carolina Republicans in that case. And the sentiment that both are just as bad, both are terrible, which is kind of true, but that's what brought us 2016 and has put us into this mess. Like, honestly, do you think that in 2016, if Hillary Clinton was elected, we would be talking about the overturning of Roe v. Wade and the end of free and fair elections right now? Probably not, because Hillary Clinton would have appointed those three Supreme Court justices, not Donnie Boy, which has gotten us into this mess in the first place. It's the truth. And Democrats appeared to learn from their mistakes in 2016, in 2018, and 2020, but a bunch of Democrats, a bunch of people who would vote Democrat, are now tuning out after Donnie Boy. But listen, people, Donnie Boy, Trumpity Boy, is not gone yet. He hasn't been charged yet for the insurrection, although, I mean, we'll see. And he's reportedly planning on launching his next campaign for president later this summer, which hopefully energizes the Democrats. But now is not the time to get complacent, because it is the time to exercise our rights as Americans and actually vote for people who want democracy. Oh my gosh. Wouldn't that be such a radical idea? The liberal, radical climate agenda. Isn't it terrible? So the only chance to stop the backward slide put in place by the Supreme Court is by voting in November. Make sure you got all your plans all ready to go and vote for the Zaders Facts Party. Even though, not maybe not this year. But next time, vote for the Zaners Facts Party because that's going to be a thing. Hopefully, we'll see. Zaners Facts! So there you have it. That is this week's Zaders Facts flashback, and that's all I got for this week's edition of Zaders Facts. Thank you all so much for listening. 
And remember, if you liked all the facts that we had on this week's edition of the podcast, our Xander's Facts Flashback, remember to follow this podcast, download this episode, the Xander's Facts Flashback, rate and review the podcast, then go on all your socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, I'm on all those, at Xander's Facts, that is Xander with a Z, and make sure to tell all your friends, spread the facts! Xander's Facts Podcast. Tell all your friends about the podcast, about Xander's Weekend Facts, our weekly newsletter, which you can sign up in this episode's description. It is free to do so. Xander's Facts on YouTube. Because this flashback is going to be on YouTube, you should check that out. And the Xander's Facts link tree, which has all the Xander's Facts links that you need. It is linked to this episode's description. It includes Xander'sFacts.com, the new online home of Xander's Facts, which also includes the brand new Xander's Facts Shop. Get your facts swag. We are back with a brand new episode next week, episode 89 of the podcast. To begin our new episodes for the new year of 2023, obviously I'm going to mention at least in some form the speaker vote or what's going on in Congress right now and some other stuff. So you might want to tune in because I got a bunch more facts coming up for you next week on episode 89 of the Xander's Facts Podcast. But that is it. That is a wrap for the Zaders Facts Flashback. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see y'all with episode 89 next week. Z-A-N-D-E-R-S-F-A-C-T-S dot com.